ultimately, I think all advanced civilizations will need to have an energy coin. Um, else we're just going to go through cycles of corruption and manipulation of the money, and then we we blow up and start again, again and again. And so. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based, so all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Willie Woo, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Hey, Robert. Glad to be here. This is uh, the first um, podcast I've done in quite a while. You know, I've taken a year off, and so, um, yeah, glad to be back. Glad to have you on and honored to be your first podcast in a year. Uh, there's definitely a lot to talk about in the Bitcoin universe. And just by way of quick introduction, you are a partner at Crest and Seize Crest Fund of Funds. And you're a well-known guy in the on-chain analytics world, uh, really reading the Bitcoin time chain to get market signal. I think you were one of the first people to start doing that. Um, and you've become very well-known for, for that. Uh, so... I wanted to, uh, as I, we're talking offline, I've been like reading through your Twitter, kind of structuring some of this conversation. And first thing that really jumped out at me, if we can start in the, the philosophical side before we get into the, the quantitative and macro stuff, you have a pin tweet that says, money has always been a balance sheet of who owes whom. This accounting needs to be agreed upon and there's only three known ways. 
one with social consensus, two with matter, three with energy. Um, that's a pretty profound tweet about money. So I have to ask you, Willie, what does that mean? What, how, I guess, what is money? Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you think about money, I mean, Robert, you're one of the experts on, on this kind of deep thinking. It really is a ledger of um, who owns home um, value. And and so if you look at it historically, um, way back in, in the day, we used to use rare things like, you know, seashells um, and commodities that were rare. And so these are like examples of keeping track of um, value using, you know, a token. Maybe it's a lump of gold. And so all of these things are um, in the physical realm. And so we're, we're really relying on a scarce element. So basically atoms, mm-hmm. chunks of matter, that hopefully you find a commodity that is very, very hard to uh, make more of. Um, mm-hmm. And gold was one of that. Those um, maybe maybe silver as well. Um, so mm-hmm. we used um, matter as a form of keeping an honest ledger. Um, and then we moved on to maybe some of the early tribes used um, social consensus, like um, you know mana in, in, in New Zealand terms, effectively social um, respect and ranking. Um, yeah. And um, in the sphere world, you could say that could be translated into um, political power and shaping belief and consensus to vote on who maybe controlling the Fed or controlling the government who then appoints the Fed and is in charge of the money printer. You get this sort of uh, system where um, people are now trying to shape um, belief or social um, political advantage. Um, And also you could say even a proof of state protocol is a bit like that because you've got um, this this, um, crypto project that is, you know, uh, trying to convince everyone that um, this is decentralized, that um, everyone has a stake in it, and behind the scenes maybe it's a few whales or the, the the crypto founding team that has a lot of the tokens that effectively control the consensus through that proof-of-stake uh, mechanism. Um, you know, the transactions can be overridden by um, enough stake in that uh-huh. network. Uh-huh. So again, that social um, consensus. And then... You know, if you think about Bitcoin, it is really the consensus is based on energy. If you're going to 51% attack uh, the Bitcoin network, you will need to control 51% of the energy. Now, energy is a pretty hard thing to control, right? Um, If you want to control, say, 50% of the available energy, that's intrinsically tied to A, um, the technology level of the civilization. Um, you know, yeah. there's a very, very strong correlation. In fact, technology is driven by energy. Um, and, you know, even for, for the cosmologists um, out there, you know, there's the Kardashev scale, which uh-huh. is about how you can measure effectively um, the technology level of civilization um, from, say, um, the first level, I think, is really when you capture all the available energy of your planet. That's uh-huh. level one. We're not there yet. And then all of the energy available from your star, 
right? And then the last one is you can capture all the available energy in your galaxy to harness it for your civilizations. So there, in terms of um, keeping an honest ledger, that's going to scale with with the advancement of technology, whereas, say, using gold won't because eventually you get off the planet and there's no limitation on gold um, as a scarce asset once you can mine, say, asteroid, and that's, that's um, not far away, actually. Um, and so on that view, it, it is a very defensible um, way of keeping a fair ledger. Uh, you could also say there's a very, very strong correlation between energy and um, effectively GDP. Um, so, you know, the whole economy runs on energy. So on one side of the equation, you have um, the economy, like maybe $100 trillion. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is really the money we trade for that. Um, and to control money um, and take, you know, effectively unfair advantage of it, you would need to, if it was an energy coin um, like Bitcoin, you would need to uh, control half of the world's energy. Um, yeah. So as the the, the GDP scales, um, again, your money is is also um, very very robust against that scaling. So mm-hmm. um, ultimately, I think all advanced civilizations will need to have an energy coin. Um, else we're just going to go through cycles of corruption and manipulation of the money and then we we blow up and start again again and again and so i thought it was a i thought it was a relatively um <laughs> i too thought it was relatively profound to stumble on that i i wasn't just the only um it was really borrowing and ripping off of other people as well to get to this conclusion and I thought it was very profound, um, but actually it wasn't very well received on Twitter. Okay. Normally we tweet something, it's like, wow, it goes off or doesn't. And certainly that one, I don't think people really saw how important that is um, in the long scheme of things or how important an energy coin is to civilization. Yeah, no, well, maybe it landed wrong with your audience, but I think it will land well with mine. Uh, we do a lot yeah, of these philosophical... Um, philosophical waxing about the nature of money and I thought this was a really good one um you know you highlighted one point um we've often described money as like a system for trading favors which is exactly what you're saying here right like a balance sheet of who owes whom but the straight and so it's in that sense it's a social construct right we've just created this list of like who rendered what favors to who you know what was valuable and then whoever has that money can then go and get favors from other people in the form of goods or services. So it's this accounting system for human cooperation, very much a social construct like English or the calendar or, you know, civil liberties, like things that we just kind of make up to live by or things that we use, these abstract tools. But the weird thing about money is that it can't just be abstract. I mean, it can, like that's sort of what fiat is, but when you when you unroot it from physics, well, you get fiat currency, right? People manipulate it, corrupt it, hyperinflate it. It needs some type of anchoring into physical reality because physical reality, we have real constraints, you know, like the time and energy necessary to produce goods and services. So it's a, I think it's a unique money's, this is maybe why it's so interesting to talk about in this context, it's the only social construct, I think, that has to be rooted in physical reality. 
whereas all of our other social constructs are just abstract, you know, um, you know, English, whatever it may be. And so I think yeah. when you get that framing, you see why Bitcoin is so unique, right? And proof of work is indispensable that you have to have energy expenditure to have integrity of the money supply such that you don't get corrupted, manipulated, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's a particularly interesting because it is a real physically based um, money in that it, it, it physically is in its physics, yet it's a digital currency. Uh-huh. And so what Satoshi worked out is how to bridge a, a physics realm into uh-huh. a digital realm. Yes. Like, there's no other way that we so far do, is there? There's no other way that we know of that can digitize a physical world um, asset um, exactly. or value, like like um, energy, into the digital realm. Every other way uh, requires some sort of oracle, some sort of yeah. person that witnesses it and says, yes, it is so, so I'm putting it into the digital realm tick. Yes. Um, that's, the, no one's figured that problem out apart from Satoshi using energy. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, think it's, it's that it also speaks to Bitcoin being irreproducible, right? You can't do this again. You could sure you can have other proof of work coins, but money has this kind of winner take all network effect, you know, that the larger and more liquid the the money is, the more useful it is. So this bridge that Satoshi created between digital and physical reality, I think is the only one that's ever going to matter. Like it's. That's an interesting one. Because, uh, is that is that true though? Is 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 it always winner take all? Is usually there's a, a few, a handful of competing. Like right now, we have US dollar and euro, and, and you know, I I I do think um, if the markets are set free, there's usually a handful, and I think that's that's another thing that I think is I think. Maybe Bitcoiners get wrong. Think we'll be talking about maximalism at its Mad. original sense of it is that we believe that there's one, one, particularly one coin to rule them all, one that's going to take up the lion's share. But actually, that in itself is not ideal. Like you do want competing um, currencies because one might fail um, in the fiat world or the 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 nation state world. Countries go out of power and so forth. Um, in the digital world, um, there are definitely bugs that can rise right. and vulnerabilities. And I, I would like to see um, a world of strong competing currencies, um, yeah. just because that decentralizes um, the, the monetary base. Uh, if we were very centralized onto one um, coin, let's call it Bitcoin, um, we've got all our eggs in one basket if that actually fails. Right. And people have this notion that Bitcoin's the perfect money. It's certainly got a lot of promise and certainly got a lot of the design right, but it's certainly not perfect. You know, we've yeah. seen inflation bugs rear up and they were caught in time. Thank God. Um, there's all manner of uh, design issues if you talk to the Cordeers that you know they work with. And over uh-huh. through the decade, they've fixed and, and improved. And so... By no means is it the perfect currency, and so yeah, I'd just like to put that out there. It would Man. be good to see strong competing fair currencies. Uh, yeah, I I lean more to the maximalist camp on this, just 
in the sense that it's not so much um, looking at fiat currencies as an example because they're not free market phenomena. For me, it's more like looking at gold, like the world sort of standardized to one free market money because gold was the basically the best monetary technology we had and it's the deepest and most liquid market, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think things will develop more along that path. I don't disagree. Like, sure, it's it should be free. Anyone can introduce whatever they want and try to compete with Bitcoin or anything else. But I just think over time, the world would standardize to one digital gold, just like we had one analog gold, effectively. But it's to be seen, right? It's just speculation because who knows? We've never seen anything like this. I do think it's interesting, though, the point you were making on energy, talking about the Kardashev scale, too, that Bitcoin also acts as like this incentive system to just go out and find a new, cheaper, you know, previously uneconomic energy sources, uh, energy sources that you couldn't monetize effectively. And now Bitcoin's like a a bounty program or something for that globally yeah. forever. And yep. so if it's, it's driving us towards cheaper and new energy sources, then what does that mean for the advancement of civilization? As you were saying, the Kardashev scale is basically saying the more energy you harness, the more civilized you are effectively. And so mm-hmm. Bitcoin's like a, uh, again, a bounty program or an incentive system that pushes us up the Kardashev scale, perhaps. I think that's really interesting to think about. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of these um, unexpected um, results where, you know, the old way of looking at it, uh, particularly by the media, is it's so energy hungry. It's so energy hungry and it's damaging on the environment. But if you look at it in terms of Kardashev scale, actually, we want to use more energy. Yeah. The more energy we unlock, the better society gets, the more comforts we have, the more amazing things we can do. We can explore the star systems. Um and and to that front, you were looking just even with my friend Daniel Batten, who's leading some of the ESG um, research. Like we're, we came to the conclusion, Bitcoin doesn't use enough energy. Like for example, if we want really want to accelerate um, next generation renewables like solar, we could have, you know, we could have um, solar panels every roof across um, even projects that have like turned the roads into solar panels. Um, it turns out that it's really, really hard to um, approve uh, these renewables, winds in this category as well, um, into the grid because the grid is really an, an older um, way of transmitting power and it needs a complete baseload. You've got to match what the drawer is with the inputs and what do you do when you're oversupplied or unsupplied? supplied and and so feeding these renewable resource uh, energies um, sources into the grid is is wreaking havoc with the grid and so bitcoin miners net there are now being able to um absorb the extra um load where mm-hmm. normally um the grid's having to pay people to use that power right and they're able to um flexibly just turn off those miners um when when there's a critical shortage um and so if we want more renewables um and a decentralized grid where people have got solar panels on every roof and and so forth we need more um you know bitcoin miners that are capable yeah. of absorbing and and really being the sponge and 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 absorbing the excess and and, and then turning off so 
um, that's an example of where um, it's pushing forward the the energy infrastructure of of our planet. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like more than money at that point, right? It's so fascinating. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers: thirty six thousand, twenty five, and one. Thirty six thousand is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Okay, pivoting now, you had some a tweet. You've talked, obviously, done a lot of work in explaining futures markets, um, talking about paper Bitcoin markets, which, you know, this is what Bitcoin is on exchange and then exchanges are sort of over-issuing these Bitcoin IOUs. Um, how does, like, what, what do we call this? Bitcoin derivatives market, paper Bitcoin market, whatever you want to call it. How does this impact Bitcoin's bear and bull cycles or just Bitcoin price more generally? People get really concerned about this often thinking that, um, you know, too much paper Bitcoin suppresses the price. So how do those dynamics play out in your view? Okay, so, I mean, let, let's go back on first principles and, and answer the question for the audience, well, you know, what is a synthetic or a paper Bitcoin? Um, and so, you know, when we have markets, we can we can trade the underlying, right? I want to buy a Bitcoin, I'll sell you my US dollars, I'll get the Bitcoin. And they, we call these spot markets. So, you know, I, I, wanna, I want a, a barrel oil, um, you know, here's the money and that's a barrel of oil, I can settle in it. And then, um, you know, we've got these things called a futures contract. Um, in the Bitcoin world or the crypto world, we have standard futures contracts and we also have our own um, kind of invention. Um, BitMEX invented this in 2016 or even earlier. Um, no. And it was the petrol swap. So we've got these two types of um, 
derivatives called futures instruments. And what they are are effectively um, bets on the direction of Bitcoin price. So no. if I want to um, take a long bet on Bitcoin, I can buy a long position in, in the market. And of course, I can't actually um, bet on a long, like the price going up, without someone taking the other side of that bet. Yep. So they're taking, you know, we do a handshake, you know, click of a mouse button, someone executes, and we have done a bet. I bet on it going up, and Robert, you might be betting on it going down, or vice versa. Yeah. Um, so if that's a contract for one Bitcoin, we have now just created a synthetic Bitcoin. Um, the reason why it's in, like, it's just a bet, right? Okay. The, but actually myself, um, I didn't actually buy the Bitcoin. I bought a, a exposure to Bitcoin price going up. And so um, it is the same as a, a minting a new synthetic Bitcoin. Um, and very much so, I can tell you that um, hedge funds, institutions, um, even the New Zealand um, like uh, retirement savings um, fund at one point got access to Bitcoin. And um, I believe that may have been through um, the CME um, futures. Like these institutions aren't able to, because they're fiduciaries, they aren't allowed to hold the Bitcoins themselves. Um, yeah. There's checks and balances. So they need, uh, if, there was a, a, if they're buying Bitcoin, they would need a custodian and need to be regulated. There's a whole lot of issues buying Bitcoin currently because the 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 setup right the the regulated products aren't there for these institutions so what do they do they buy maybe the futures etf um, so i'm buying an etf that tracks bitcoin but actually underlying that they're trading these paper um, currencies so they're basically putting a long position on bitcoin without actually buying bitcoin and so one of the things i did was um actually on the tail end of the bull market um, last in 2021, early 2022, I could see through on-chain analysis that all the coins were still being built up and taken off exchanges. And those coins were going from liquid holdings to illiquid. You can detect that because you can look into those wallets and you could look at the patterns of um, those coins moving and, and the holder. The holder, you know, you can monitor their past um, transactions and so you can see that the coins were moving into strong hands effectively investors that were stacking their sats stacking their bitcoins and they were not being sold so that was the pattern all through 2022's bear market as in effect the supply shock was being created right. um but actually um and i i was i was one of those that said actually the price is going to go up but it didn't right uh, within you know by I think around February or or so forth, I realised that the the bear market was actually settling in, and and actually this the signal I was getting on chain, which was a supply shock, a bullish movement, was not um, you know was not a true signal. The yeah. the, the the price kept coming down. Um, what it was happening was people were hedging out on the futures market. So instead of selling that Bitcoin, you could just keep the Bitcoin and short it, put a short position on it. And so um, if you did that, um, just through the dynamics of how um, 
the funding on futures um, happen, like the, it's not free to to effectively trade on on these these um these futures markets, and effectively um, more people want to go long than short. So effectively, if you short the market, you get paid. Um, so instead of selling my Bitcoin, I'm better off to hold my Bitcoin and I'll I'll short it. And so now I've got I'm effectively hedged out as as if I sold it. Um, it's like now effectively um, whatever the price I shorted at is what I got in US dollar terms. And now I'm being paid a, a funding rate. I'm collecting funding, and that was the better way of doing it. So the market actually sold off, but through the futures market, and that actually minted a lot of synthetic. Um, bitcoins, um, and I only just recently did the did the um, modeling around that, and it shows that the the total supply of tradable bitcoins was gradually climbing, climbing, climbing all the way through um, the bear market. Like even though more bitcoins were being bought and taken off the exchanges, the synthetic bitcoins were taking its place, mm. and actually, um, when did that? tradable Bitcoin start dropping, it was right at the bottom of the market. Eventually those those short positions unwound, those synthetic Bitcoins vaporized, you know, they yeah. unwind the trade and the, that bet is off. Um, and effectively um, the tradable uh, supply of Bitcoin um, plummeted and that was the bottom of the market. Yeah. And um, effectively that supply has been dropping uh, more or less ever since. Um, it, so actually, the long term, um, the, the we are actually in a good position here with with um, the supply dropping. Um, that's the real Bitcoin and the paper Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, that 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 is that's what's happening. And if we were to look at what's happening with um, in terms of um, the ETFs, we I believe. Were you, do you remember, Robert, was it 2015? Um, was it 2014? Were the first, when were the first spot ETS applied for? I think... Um, I don't know the answer to that question, and that's a little before my time. I started in like 2016. Uh, yeah, okay. So definitely in 2016, I was doing analysis on, on the spot ETF. Um, the Winklevoss Twins had one. Um, Solid X partners had one. Um, they were all denied um, or delayed and then delayed. But we're talking um, seven years or maybe more that these spot ETFs were denied. Uh, back then, it was like it's not safe for retail because it's too volatile. And then um, more recently, we had futures ETFs get the tick. We had the CME come in in 20, late 2017 get the tick, trading the futures um, contracts. And then we had the ETS built on top of that. Um, and so now for a few years, we've had um, futures ETS. But for um, seven or more years, the spot ETF has been denied. And what that has created is um, basically an impediment to development of the spot markets, having yeah. liquidity um, volume, yeah. having dominance in these markets. So the dominance has gone to the futures markets. Yeah. They trade maybe five to 10 times more volume in a day, um, the, 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 the liquidity is there. And so 
now when the price moves in these futures markets, um, spot follows more than the other way yeah. around. Um, not always the case, but the, the, the futures market is very, very strong now. So we're in a regime now where um, <clears throat> very large institutions can come in and effectively have a dominance over the price of Bitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you were to look at all the spot Bitcoin that is sitting on exchanges that could be bought, at today's price, $60 billion would buy it all up and there'd be no more Bitcoin um, on exchanges to buy. Um, and you can contrast that with um, what does $60 billion mean to um, financial institutions, the banking sector? Well, you know, there's over $20 trillion of M2 money in, in supply. Um, with futures markets, I do not need to i don't need to um, have bitcoin to participate right if there's say 60 billion dollars of of money needed if i was to buy it all at once at today's price i'd get all of them i could like given you can leverage futures i could um i could do maybe 5x leverage um so every um spot bitcoin that is bought and taken off the exchange um i can actually um just front some US dollars into into these markets and short Bitcoin. And that, so $60 billion turns into $12 billion in terms of collateral I need to, to effectively balance out that buy pressure. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was saying, you know, um, remember George Soros, how he broke the Bank of England. Um, it was a really good trade and a whole bunch of hedge funds piled into it. And, you know, you've got trade here that can make multiple billions of dollars in, in that single trade. Um, there's not a lot of trades you can do as a multi-billion dollar hedge fund that can get a return and carry that kind of capital. Cool. But in the Bitcoin world, now that we've got the futures you know, markets very liquid, I could plant, say, $12 billion if I wanted to into these exchanges and effectively halt all price going up, right? So whenever whenever people get bullish, I just short it and yeah. I capture a yield, right? Yeah. Whenever I sell, I get a little bit of, of price premium. And so I'm actually capturing a yield while suppressing the price of Bitcoin, you see, oh. feeding in short. So as everyone's buying these Bitcoins and everyone thinking it's going to go to the moon, saw this all through 2022, they bought, taken off exchanges, shorts were loading in, price kept going down. That's one thing you're incentivized by laying down those shorts to capture that yield. Uh -huh. Normal case for a small trader, when you short, you cover by buying one Bitcoin so you're not exposed to the market. Well, but heck, if I am like a Soros-sized hedge fund, I don't need to cover. I know I've got enough collateral there to just keep the market down while I'm collecting that yield. Uh -huh. And even more so, I, I could actually um, do this thing called a long squeeze, basically, um, keep selling, selling, selling. It's expensive to do that because often the funding rate swings against you and you have to pay now to be in uh -huh. that position. But you can long squeeze. Basically, you, anyone going long um, gets liquidated because it gets below their, their um, liquidation uh -huh. price. Suddenly, they they get liquidated and all the sales, everything they bought gets dumped on the market uh -huh. and gets worked down. And then um, you'd cover, right? As, as the hedge fund that pushed it down, I'll just cover and capture that and... Uh -huh. 
Turns out you make 10 to 100 times more money than just capturing that yield. You cover, the price rises, and you just continue to milk it. So it, it strikes me as um, with these futures markets, you're in a position where very large multi-billion dollar hedge funds are now incentivized to suppress the Bitcoin price. Um, it's a very good payday um, just to keep it down. And you know, the, these dynamics exist. Um, there's, there's the thought, Bitcoiners think we can, um, we can, it's a sovereign money, we control it, we can send it where we want, but the weakness is that for Bitcoin to be useful, sure, we can, we have sovereignty, we, we hold it, we can send it, no one can stop that, but if the coin does not have a market value, there's no point, right? You're transmitting value, but there's no discoverable value on it. Well, if the value discovery mechanism is now being suppressed such that um, Bitcoin's always going to hang around, um, you know, the 30,000 mark, it doesn't get large enough to be world-changing. You know, maybe it's it's somewhat impactful for a small nation-state like El Salvador on that size economy, but certainly um, it's going to hold back its, its um, impact worldwide. Wow. And so... The, this is this is the issue I see with with Bitcoin right now. And even if all the Bitcoins came in and bought all the coins off the exchanges, the price doesn't get unleashed. If if the futures market continues to have dominance over the spot markets, and this so is what, what, sorry, why it's so important to have this. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. So it's the the significance of the Bitcoin spot ETF. Is this sort of reigning in the dominance of the futures market? And then what what does that lead to? If I'm hearing you correctly, the futures market is sort of perhaps exacerbating the long term volatility of Bitcoin on these squeeze, you know, long squeezes, short squeezes, et cetera, but maybe in the short run dampening the volatility. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's what we have seen. The volatility has been damped because the upside movements have been muted. Um yeah. you can see it. You can I can just see it in front of me with the chart. We used to have these uh, experiential runaway tops, uh, reflexive um, sort of curves, we call it, and they just uh-huh. scream up because, y- you know, there's no one that's selling into that. Um, yeah. But now, you know, you can sell because you only need Bitcoin to sell it because you sell it through the futures market. And you saw that last bull market was very muted. It didn't scream up any. We uh-huh. thought it would walk out 100,000 or it uh-huh. just got muted and then got muted again. It was all through the futures market. And so if you think about that in the spot markets, which one has dominance? Um, we need spot to be more dominant. Um, if the liquidity in futures market is a little bit smaller, then people will go to the spot markets. In fact, people that want to buy Bitcoin exposure, even an institution that has to buy it through an ETF, you would hands down buy a spot ETF over a futures ETF because you have to pay that funding rate. And so it's, it's like... Um, you know, ten percent, maybe twenty percent in a bull market. It's it's how much you have to pay per year of your holdings just to stay in that position. And so everyone would go to the spot um, ETF if you're a long term investor, and um, that would then reinvigorate the spot markets. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's very very important. I'm not saying that that solves the problem completely because historically, futures markets continue to develop very deep liquidity. Um, right. But, but yeah, it's truing up price discovery for Bitcoin in a way, just by getting 
a spot ETF to sort of balance out the dominance of futures markets? Yeah, I would say so. Like, uh, you know, typically when you have, um, you know, like if we look at it this way, um, the market price of any asset, let's call it Bitcoin for this one, um, the market price determ is determined by um, two, two, two activities, right? There's a long-term activity um, based on investor demand. Is it? and the market willing to supply that. So it's demand and supply, and this price discovery happens. That and helps. then in the short term, um, it's like a random walk, and that it helps. looks very irrational, and it's not about an efficient, you know, the market's pr efficiently pricing and everything. That what helps. the market is actually doing is um, pay, taking the most efficient path to liquidate the most uh, traders. Um, <laughs> I mean, because in the short term, it is really dominated by um, short-term trading, and the vehicle of choice is very much futures, because the liquidity is there. It's very nimble. You can buy a huge amount of it, even if it's not on offer, on the spot markets. And so you'll see it. Like I used to say in 2018, um, the price of Bitcoin is determined by um, the, the random walk of the path that liquidates um, the most traders on BitMEX. And that's very much the case now across all futures markets. If the market's overly long, then you'll find that it comes back down because there's so much money in taking those traders out. And so yeah. you get this sort of noise, right? Um, but right now what we've got is long-term investors getting long-term exposures through the, the futures market when they should be in the spot market, which is much more of a, a rational market because it's for longer term investment. I hope that kind of makes sense. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, no, it does. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> like, I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Where are we then 
now. So we don't have a spot ETF. So we still have futures markets kind of um, doing their thing, I suppose. From a macro standpoint, I know this is a very dangerous question. I want to ask you about like Bitcoin short-term price. Um, Obviously, U.S. dollar has been getting stronger amid a lot of macroeconomic uncertainty, you know, kind of a generalized flight to safety, it seems like, as as rates have gone up and all of these things. Obviously, people moving into treasuries, et cetera. What does that mean for Bitcoin? Like, where do you see Bitcoin? We've got the halving in less than a year. I don't know to what effect you think that uh, influences price or not. What what is your short, say, 12 to 24-month outlook on Bitcoin in the context of our current macroeconomic situation? Yeah, so Bitcoin is very much developed um, into a very macro-correlated asset. I think back in the day, maybe in 2017 or so, 2018, we were talking about this as a very uncorrelated asset. Now it's highly correlated as a risk-on asset. And so um, what's driving the price of Bitcoin is the US dollar strength, effectively liquidity in the system. And, you know, we just had um, another rates announcement, which was not to cut um, and yeah. and um, sentiment that we might be another bump. Um, so that's creating headwinds. Um, and But in terms of the US dollar strength, it, it is really getting quite high and up against resistance. And so um, we need we need that to turn around um, before we get like um, an opportunity for Bitcoin to 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 rise. And you know, people have varied opinions on it. I think potentially, if 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 the the rates lower, if the US dollar um, drops a bit, we have a window to go um, later on this year, maybe fourth quarter, first quarter of next year. To rise higher, um, no. but my personal belief is that um, there's there's a lot of weakness in the global economy, um, and that we are in a recession and we'll go deep into a recession. And generally, when that type of stuff happens, um, like I think it's really hard for us to to rip upwards in all these risk markets. Um, and maybe if we we do sort of um, you know into next year get get a hard time blood on the streets um, no and the money printers kick in again that may open the door for um, a, a proper bullish run um, no. into twenty twenty five. Interestingly, it coincides with happening. Um, I was on record the last cycle saying this this might be the last cycle in the last cycle. Um, and I painted a chart of basically these big strong cycles going into these kind of like random walk cycles. And, and, and I like, though we have a bear cycle and though maybe we're setting up for another bull cycle, um, I think um, the interesting thing is like global liquidity cycles of where, where, where is all this money coming from to buy Bitcoins? It turns out global liquidity is on our four-year cycle and it is superimposed on the halvening. So what I think is happening is that Bitcoin cycles is is two effects. It's the internal demand and supply coming from our halvening supply shocks superimposed onto these liquidity cycles. And I I think that um, we've pretty much um, exhausted strong impulses from the halvening. Um, 
I think the next halvening, which which drops um, drops our inflation rate to below that of gold, um, that impact is not as strong as prior. Furthermore, you've got these other impacts. Um, the impact of fees harvesting, like exchanges harvest fees, right? You're trading, you're trading crypto, you're trading well, Bitcoin, well, um, and they make their money in the crypto that they trade with Bitcoin. Right. They, they often take on one side of their trade, they take the Bitcoin as fees, right. and so they're they're operations. You know, they've got salaries to pay, so they sell that, those Bitcoins into cash to pay the operational expenses. So as the trading volume, particularly these futures markets, man, like multi-billion dollars a day of volume, they, they pale. They, they, and the, sorry, the spot markets pale in comparison to it. So you've got all this huge churn of trading, generating fees in, in Bitcoin, and some of that is sold off just. And, and I worked out in the last cycle that during a bull market, that equaled effectively this, the, the, the reduction in, in, in the mining um, halvening. Well, and so I think in this next um, halvening, actually, the fees harvesting from exchanges is now going to be more dominant um, than the halvening from the supply shock of, you know, half the yeah. supply being emitted. So we're, I, I do think that has less and less impact. And actually, we're in a world now where it's traded like a, another macro asset, one but, that's still gaining its legs, but very much driven by liquidity in the system. Uh, um, and that leads me to one last point where if you were to track sharp ratio, which um, is a measure of uh, effectively risk-adjusted return, and you can calculate that over four years, so you can net out you know, where you are in the cycle. But, um, you just calculate sharp over four years and look quite stable, actually. It, it hung around, um, I believe it was high threes. Um, that's pretty good. Um, High threes gets you, um, no, looking at it now, yeah, at three, sorry, it's round about uh, high twos. Um, <clears throat> that was heads and shoulders above every other macro asset, S&P 500, gold, um, you know, bonds, um, emerging currencies. It was just heads and shoulders above everything else because this was a um, network that was undergoing experiential adoption. <laughs> and I would say that adoption is still happening um but the interesting thing that happened 2021 ish right um in 2021 um it just fell off a cliff one step changed down um now it's in the zone of around 1.5 1.75 um so we're in the zone now where um the the, the risk adjusted return of bitcoin is competing um, head to head with that of the S and P five hundred, wow. that of a gold and bonds. Um, it's wow. now dropped into the zone that all the other macro assets um, have um, that are trading in, in risk adjusted returns. And and actually, again, I would say what happened in twenty twenty one. That's the mainstream adoption of futures markets. Wow. Um, so yeah. it's just another macro traded asset right now, even though it's. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, does this lead to the short squeeze of the century? It could do if um, futures markets dwindle in liquidity and futures and spot markets start to dominate. Um, it, it absolutely could do. Um, 
also the other path would be an absolute collapse and mayhem in the in 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 the world um and a collapse of say fiat um, right that's what i was thinking like yeah, like, yeah the printing process is like a demand driver behind all this futures market price suppression at some point you might just get the the spark that lights the forest fire kind of thing and just see a absurd short squeeze on bitcoin certainly possible um if the markets cease to work properly like the financialization of these these futures markets derivatives and the the the, the drivers decide for yet how that's built um for sure yeah i mean you know bitcoin is a very patient <laughs> um given long enough we know that the fiat regimes um collapse um not sure if markets collapse they usually survive um but yeah uh, i have no insight yeah interesting to think about maybe a nice dose of hopium for people yeah yeah no. uh well, man, I think I've kept you long enough today. I really appreciate your insights. This is all super interesting. Um, it's fun to get inside your mind and, and see Bitcoin and markets through your eyes. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Okay. Best is um, my Twitter, which is WooNomic um, handle. I'm not that active these days, but I, I pop in every now and then when you know I, I, I uh, post something here and there. Um, my day job is um, running um, Fund Crest and and Seas Crest. Um, so, like, you may go to our website, Crest um, dot fund. Um, we build actually what we do is we build um, investable products from the crypto market. So, effectively, harnessing all the efficiency out of out of the um, the crypto markets, and um, we can generate two to three times more than even in this regime over that. Um, treasury bills so um anyway that's what i do as a day job um but find me on twitter um at woonomic is the best awesome willie thank you so much for doing this no problems thank you enjoyed it robert you have a good one